you so much for the warm welcome. It's good to be back again. Um, my wife Elaine is here. We came all the way from Goose Creek. Have you heard of that place? Well, we made it through the uh, hurricane. It's good to see that most of you here did. I hope you didn't have a lot of damage. We see uh, your church as an extended family. Uh, Elaine knows Shay, and I know John Mark, and uh, Elaine works at CSU. Some of your kids have been there. I know Jeffrey has uh, got a daughter there, Sarah. Um, I'm just thankful uh, not only to know you, but to bring uh, the, the Word of God to you today. We need to hear the Word of God. Last time I was here, we did Jonah chapter 3. I said, John Mark, can we do Jonah 4? He said, go right ahead. We, we, we want to finish up the book. I wonder, children, if you were asked by somebody, what is the most dangerous nation in the whole world right now? I wonder what you'd say. I thought it might be North Korea, because whenever I hear that nation, it sounds scary. But I googled. You know what that is, right? The most dangerous nation, according to two different uh, sources, is the country of Iraq. Iraq. Now, did you know that the book of Jonah was written about the capital of Assyria called Nineveh, and that's actually modern-day Iraq? We're going to go back in time, if you remember, and many of you have studied this book, we're going to go back in time 2,750 years today. What was going on 2,750 years ago? Well, for 200 years, Assyria, whose capital was Nineveh, was violent and they were scaring everybody. In Israel, we think about the people of God. They started fighting with each other. You ever have fights and get angry in a, in a family? Israel started to fight, and there was a king whose taxes were so high that ten of the tribes said, we want comfort, we're going to break off, and we're going to have our own kings. And they had king after king after king. The 13th king's name was Jeroboam II. There was a prophet named Jonah that would say things like this, Let's all not get worried, even though it's been 200 years of Assyrians being very violent, because here's the prophecy. Our border is safe. We're not going to get hurt. And Jeroboam II would actually extend the kingdom, rule for over 40 years. It'd be as big as the kingdom was with King David and with King Solomon. It was a time of comfort, a time of peace. And then God said, Jonah! My people are supposed to be telling the outsiders about how good my grace is. I want you to go to Nineveh and tell them about my grace. And you know the story. He goes the opposite direction, gets swallowed by a big fish. It vomits him out. He says, well, I better go. He tells Nineveh, if you all will just repent, God is going to relent. He's going to save you. And you'd think everybody lived happily ever after, but if you would please stand... We're going to see what Jonah's attitude was when all these people got saved. Jonah chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, take my life from me, 
It's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city, sat to the east of the city, he made a booth for himself. There he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up and over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die and said, It's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for that plant? He said, Yes, I do. I do well to be angry, enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you didn't labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Would you pray with me? Lord, this is quite the story. It's an old story, but even Jesus brings it up in the New Testament as being a historical story. It's our story. Father, I do pray that as we kind of go through these questions that are brought up in this chapter, would you send your Spirit Would you show us good news? Lord, some of us here are anxious. Some of us are afraid. Some of us are angry in relationships. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would truly change us through this good news today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, with your Bibles open, please be seated. This chapter surfaces four loaded questions. Has anybody ever gone to Google and put a question in? A lot of people doing that these days. It kind of made me interested to go on Google. I wanted to know what questions were asked in one state more than another state. And true enough, there's a company that did this. In 2016, the Estately Company looked at the Google trends, and here's what they found out. Now get this. These were searches that each state according to Google, made more frequently than the other states. Alaska asked this question, how do I smoke salmon? That makes sense. I've not been to Alaska, but I think we had to fish through the ice, and you got to know how to smoke salmon. What did the Californians ask more than any other question than any other state? What is jello? I don't know why they're asking that. I guess we in the South don't need to know. We know what Jello is. But here's on a more deeper level, not to be, not to be too, too silly. They asked more than any other state, how do I get divorced? Florida asked this question more than any other state. Is adultery illegal? They also asked, why does everybody hate Florida? In Mississippi, this question was asked more than any other state. Am I pregnant? Delaware asked, how do I get away with murder? If you're from Delaware, don't let us know that right now. North Carolina asked this, how do I open a jar? (laughs) 
In South Carolina, I asked these two questions more than any other state. What is transgender? And is Google making us stupid? The importance of questions is also seen in the way we go to YouTube. Many of you that are younger probably have gone to YouTube. You, do you all remember just five years ago the top trending video was a question and it was a silly song? It was the top trending video in 2013 was what does the fox say? I don't know if you looked that up, but it's a series of statements. It's kind of a, a, kind of a I think it's a silly dumb song, but this is what we, this is what we looked up. It has these statements about dogs and cats, but then it gets to the chorus and it says, what does the fox say? The title of this chapter in this message is Loaded Questions. Loaded Questions. I don't know if you noticed when we read it, but two questions are asked by Jonah to God. And then God asks two questions to Jonah. That's all we're going to do today is we're going to try to see that these questions that are asked, these loaded questions, what will they teach us today? In fact, if you are a student of the scriptures, it's always important to find the key or the climax to any book. This double question that God repeats is the climax of this whole book. It's the key to the whole book. Well, let's jump in. The first question Jonah asks is loaded, and it reveals how angry we typically get as human beings. In fact, anger will be mentioned four times in this chapter, verse 1, 4, and twice in 9. Let's re-enter the story in verse 1 and look for this question in anger. Look at verse 1. It displeased Jonah how much? Exceedingly. And he was angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee. Take my life from me. It's better for me. Boy, Jonah says, I, me, my, seven times in our English editions. If you read it in Hebrew, nine times he brings up himself. Yet, have you been angry recently? You get kind of focused on you, don't you? When you get really angry. And Maybe you haven't thought much about this, but why do we get angry? What's anger? This morning, I had some white stuff all over my shirt. I didn't know where it came from, and I found myself angry. I don't want to get in front of this Orangeburg wonderful congregation with this white stuff. All it takes for me is a little stain, and it just frustrates me. I don't know about you. Sometimes uh, there'll be a light left on. I'll lay down in bed, get all comfy, and open my eyes, and somebody left a light in the hallway. We so easily get triggered, don't we? What is anger? It's an emotion, but it's a very strong emotion. In fact, think of the word emotion. Something's getting stirred up. The Hebrew uses pictures. It says this. In Hebrew, Jonah's nose got burning hot. Because see, back then you had a lot of animals. Like a horse that got angry would kind of get all frustrated Get all hot in the nose. Jonah is getting hot in the nose. He's shaken up. When we get emotionally angry, we're like a drink, a fizzy drink that we shake up and it's just got to be released. When I was in grade school, one of the highlights of my Friday night was to watch the hit TV show The Incredible Hulk. 
Every episode had including the following narration during its opening. And I had it memorized, but I wrote it down just so I could get it. But some of you that lived during my era, era, that show opened up every time with this. Dr. David Banner, physician, scientist, searching for a way to tap into the hidden strength all humans have. Then an accidental overdose of gamma radiation alters his body chemistry. And now when David Banner grows angry or outraged, a startling metamorphosis occurs. The next thing you know on this show, I mean, you see this mild-mannered man transform into this green hulk, and he's, he's pushing trucks over cliffs. He's pulling trees out of the ground like they're toothpicks. Every episode ended on a sad note, if you remember this show. David is now not angry, but his life is bad. He's hitchhiking to soft, melancholy music, Let's play to a piano soundtrack. I don't know if you are an angry type, but we all get angry. Emerson said we all boil at different degrees. I don't know what your gamma radiation is. I don't know what stirs you up. Typically, our emotions get stirred by how we construe our circumstances. What do I mean by that? You typically get angry because you see something a certain way. Imagine if you're a farmer sitting in the congregation right now. Imagine you are a father who told your child, roll up all the windows before you come into church. And imagine you're somebody who has all of your windows rolled up. It starts to rain. The farmer has not seen rain for four months. How's he feeling? Happy. The dad who told his child, roll the windows up, is sitting here mad. And the one that rolled their windows up doesn't even care. Our emotions, and the next time you get angry, just say to yourself, what am I concerned about that matters to me that I'm getting stirred up about? We've all been angry, have we not? Anger is such a great indicator of something really going wrong, but it's not, we're not very good at interpreting if our anger is right or wrong. So why was Jonah angry? Why was he angry, greatly displeased? It says in verse 1, his big concern, he says, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Well, what do you mean, it displeased Jonah exceedingly? In chapter 3, he went in and told this violent nation that threatened the comfort all these years of comfort, he said, if you will just turn in the way that you think, if you repent, then you yourselves are not going to experience judgment. And they repented. He didn't want them to repent, and that got him very angry. Also in verse 2, he construes this. He says, look at verse 2. I knew you are a gracious God and merciful. You're so slow to anger. You're abounding in steadfast love, and you, resent, you relent from disaster. Why was Jonah so hot under the collar? He loved something that was not in harmony with what God loved. C.S. Lewis would say it this way, anger is the fluid that love bleeds when you cut it. If you have a spouse that gets angry or a child that gets angry or a neighbor that gets angry or a brother and sister that gets angry at you, lean in and become curious because you're touching something that they love dearly. Now, 
It's a great indicator of what they love. It's not a great interpreter if it's what God would say that they should love. But be curious because it matters so much to somebody, and they're going to get destructive or constructive based on how you walk with them. Jonah loved a number of things. The commentators kind of give us five, and I'm not going to get into any of these deeply. We're just going to swim over this rather than dive deep. Calvin said, you know what Jonah loved? His reputation. Because he walked into this most dangerous, violent nation on earth, and it's like he lit this bomb saying, turn, because in 40 days, if you don't, you're going to burn. And he kind of thought, I let light the fuse. There is no way this nation's going to get saved. And he walks out, and the nation says, we want God. And now he's got to go back to his country as a prophet that brought this statement, if you don't repent, you will be experiencing disaster. Calvin said, I think he was just a prideful man. He didn't want to go back. That was his role. Secondly, we do get clues. A lot of people think it's just he was just very patriotic and kind of bigoted. He says in chapter 1, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, which means you all are not fearing the Lord. He says in chapter 4, my country. Sometimes we do denigrate people that are different. We have prejudice, we would call that. Thirdly, some people say, here's, here's what he really loved. He loved being self-righteous. He saw himself as superior. Next time you get angry, ask yourself, is it because you think you're superior to the person you're mad at? Chapter 2, he says, those who pay regard to idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Jonah knew that these people worshipped a lot of idols. And he kind of put himself above them. Number four, and I think this is the big one, he was culturally comfortable. Are you all, as a group of Christians, comfortable right now? He demanded the removal of the threat of these Ninevites to his people because it would hurt his place and the way of life that he loved. And what happens is, sometimes when we get prosperous, we got a lot of good things going for us, our prosperity will lead to complacency regarding the conversion of those that are outside of the kingdom of God. Let me say that again a little bit slower, because this kind of gets under my skin. I like being comfortable. I like living in America. I love the prosperity that we have. But sometimes our prosperity leads to complacency towards the conversion of anybody that's lost, that's not experiencing a relationship with God. Lastly, people think that he was a prophet. You ever meet prophetic people? They just love judgment. Martin Luther said God's got two hands. In his right hand, he is a judge. These are the laws. If you don't follow them, you are crushed. And a lot of people say, well, Jonah just loved that right hand of God. But Luther said, no, God also has a left hand. He doesn't just use force of judgment. He uses forgiveness. Why was Jonah angry? He wanted a right-hand God and got a left-hand God. Graciousness. Mercy. Well, you can read commentators, and you yourself can kind of wonder what got him worked up. Jonah gives us, though, five characteristics of God that really got him concerned. And his heart was not in harmony. I wonder if your heart is in harmony with God. Did you notice that he called God gracious? He says, I'm so angry because I know you, God. You give good 
to undeserving bad outsiders. God, you're merciful. You express compassion to the undeserving like a, like a mother with a child who just threw a temper tantrum. A mother with a child who just threw a temper tantrum is still going to feed that child. <laughs> merciful. God, this is how you are, and I'm not in harmony with you right now. God, you're so slow to anger. In the Hebrew, God, you have a long nose that never gets hot. I got this nose that's just hot, and you just go forever dealing with people when you should crush them. And your slowness to anger just makes me so angry, God. Number four, he says, you abound in steadfast love. It means you don't limit your love to outsiders. There's no limit to your love. There's no border. There's no bank. It's loyal. You're loyal to unlovable people. And fifthly, all this gets me so mad about you, God. Everybody thinks you're going to judge Nineveh because for 200 years they are violating everyone and they're not following you. And you take your left hand and you relent simply because they say we repent. Oh, That's his first question. Let's look at the second question, though. God now is going to ask Jonah a question. Look at verse 4. The Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? God could have, at this point, made a statement. But you ever get real mad and somebody's giving you statements? It's like you're a tank and they got little BBs from a BB gun. They're not going to get through. In fact, when you deal with an angry person, don't give them statements. They're not listening to you. God is slow to anger, and God slows down because Jonah's mind is closed. He starts to ask this question because questions open us up. They allow space and time for us to wrestle and wonder and think things through. Jonah's heart, like all of ours when it comes to the lost, kind of gets frozen over. This question is to break the ice, is to get down deep into the heart. God questions our questions. He questions our answers because he wants to answer our deep questions about what really matters. And he gives this probing question. Jonah, are you doing right when you're this angry? It's indirect. It touches the conscience. He wants Jonah to not just know something, but to grow a little bit. God says, are you advancing your purpose? Look, Jonah was a Jew. He was part of the people of God. They were supposed to go to the outsiders and tell them about God. Have we as Christians lost our purpose? We get angry about this or that. If we know our purpose, he's saying, does your anger advance my good for the outsiders? Jonah refuses to answer God's question. Angry people typically don't want to just have a conversation. They are hot. So what does he do in verse 8? He isolates. Jonah went out of the city. He sat to the east of the city. He made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Maybe this city is going to get crushed. But I'm getting away from it right now because those people get me mad. My God gets me mad. I'm going to build me a little shelter out in the heat. I'm going to get real busy. You ever do that to kind of avoid relational tension? I'm going to get busy. Jonah's got his shield up. He wants to stop thinking. God, though, is slow to anger. 
his question to Jonah is to get Jonah to start thinking. He is indirect. He goes even slower. He enters Jonah into an object lesson, an experience in life, a visual aid, an experience that will allow the truth of this question to sneak in and sink into Jonah's hard heart. What does God do? Look at verse 4. The Lord appoints a plant. He makes it come up over Jonah. Whew, that would have been nice because it would have been hot. I try to jog every morning. I'm 49 years old. I'm trying to keep healthy. I'm telling you, when you jog in the south, it is hot, and I get more irritable every mile. I get home. I'm hot. I'm irritable. The Lord God appointed a plant, made it come up over Jonah. What an amazing God we have. That it might be a shade over his head to save him. Jonah is so reluctant, and God is still saving Jonah. Saving him from what? His discomfort. Jonah was exceedingly glad. Oh, he's not mad anymore. He's got it going good. Why? Because of that plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appoints a worm, attacks the plant. It withers. The sun rises. God appoints a scorching east wind. The sun beats down on his head and says he was faint. When I'm faint and I'm hot, I am really irritable. You don't want to be around me. Everything gets bigger than it is. You know, the mean maximum temperature in Mesopotamia is 110 degrees. We got it good. Why did God appoint that plant? In the Hebrew, it's this vine. Typically, these, the way the Hebrew explains it, it's about a 12-foot jack-in-the-beanstalk, quick-growing type thing. But then God appoints, it's a special word, this worm. In the Hebrew, it's a black caterpillar of sorts. And then there's this wind. Man, when you're hot and then the wind gets you even more sort of, you know, coming at you and making you all even, even just more irritable. The sun's beating down. Why did God appoint this experience? Because God is so slow and he wants Jonah, he wants us when we are mad to have experiences that will actually teach us his explanation. So, okay, let's look at Jonah's second question. It's loaded. Look at verse 8. Jonah asked, here's this question, that he might die. It's better for me to die than to live. The third question we see is a death wish by someone who was already part of the people of God. A death wish. He doesn't want to live. Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, it says he asked his life to die. That's how bad it was for him. Relationships do give us life. Separation leads to death. When we see something really important to us go the opposite direction, we feel like we want to die. Jonah expected these enemies of God to be eradicated so that his country would be comfortable and safe. What was he really living for? What do you live for? Anxious types usually demand certainty. Are you an anxious type? Relational types demand approval and belonging. Are you a relational type? Achievers demand satisfaction and success. 
I don't know if you're anxious, relational, an achiever, but you may say in your heart, if you don't say it out loud, there is no point to go on living if I do not get what I want. Jonah may have said there's no point of living if the good guys don't win in the end. But see, all anger is righteous. Anger is not a bad thing. But Jonah's anger was self-righteous. When someone wrongs us, we keep them in our debt. Debt's very powerful. It's like a loaded weapon. Self-righteousness feels like death because you will stay disconnected from the very heart of God and his gift of righteousness. God, you're failing to accomplish through my life what I expect you to accomplish, so just kill me. You ever been there? Here's the climax. Here's the final question. Jesus repeats it twice so we don't miss it. It's a loaded question. Rather than a death wish, Jonah, God gives a life wish. Look at verse 9. God said to Jonah, question, do you do well to be angry for that plant? He's not going to let Jonah go away without thinking about and learning about how he felt about that plant being so wonderful saving his life, and what he felt when it actually died and withered. So he says, Jonah, do you do well? Jonah quickly responds in verse 9, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. I can't say it in church or I'd get in trouble. You wouldn't have me back. But in the Hebrew, it's like an expletive. I can't say it, but it was basically Jonah saying to God something like this, Yes, I got the right to be angry. I'm blankety-blank angry. God is so slow to anger. Slow down, Jonah. Slow down. I, I didn't just ask if you were angry. We all know you're angry. Are you angry for that plant? Are you angry for that plant? Jonah, you are so stuck in that comfort lifestyle. You and the people of God. Forty years of comfort. The problem with our comfort is often when it increases, we decrease our compassion for outsiders. Often when we're so engrossed in our comfort, we have a decrease in our empathy for outsiders. Did any of you wake up this morning and hurt because one of your family or friends did not come with you to worship the living God today? I'm not saying did they just cross your mind. Did it make you hurt? See, we're very sensitive to our selfish desires in a land of comfort, but that makes us very numb to our neighbor's true needs. How about taking a step this morning and getting in sync with the very heart of God who has a heart for who? The outsider. See, this metaphor of this vine is trying to help Jonah to meditate on the very thoughts and the feelings of God. Look at verse 10. The Lord said, you pity that plant, but you didn't even labor for it. You didn't make it grow. It came into being in a night, and it perished in a night. Shouldn't I pity Nineveh? It's a great city. It has more than 120,000 persons. They don't even know their right from their left hand and much cattle. Jonah, you've got such concern for this plant. Concern. It means you ache and hurt that tears drop to the cheek. 
Do you feel like that for somebody you've been praying for for years? To finally choose Christ? To finally wake up to his beauty? When's the last time you had a tear on your cheek for an outsider? God says, now, John, you got a plant that's making tears drop on your cheek. He uses what's called an argument from the greater to the lesser. Jews would do this. They would say, I'm going to give you this argument where I'm going to give you a little, I'm sorry, lesser to the greater. I'm going to give you this little thing about a plant, and I'm going to talk about 120,000 people. Maybe it'll make you think and get, get, get this into your mind about what's going on. Here's the lesser issue. You show such concern and compassion for a plant. It lives for a day. It's temporary. You tear up when your shade tree dies, but you didn't even create it. How much more should I, the creator of people and the life giver, have concern and compassion for human beings, for animals? We're talking about a plant here. 120,000 perishing human beings who are made to be eternally reflecting my glory. And, and Jonah, you're, they're morally naive. They don't even know they're left from their right hand. It'd be like walking up to a blind person and saying, that blind person can't even get around without help. They're blind to their blindness. Many of you here are Christians. Most of the people are not interested in worshiping here today because they are secular. They have been told a false story that there really isn't a God who sent his only son. There really isn't this great story on how to live. Most of our friends and neighbors yawn when they think of Christianity, but we don't look at them and look down on them or give up on them. We say they don't even know their left hand from their right hand. Because the moral naivete that they have doesn't make them morally, what's the word? They are still morally liable in front of a holy God. They're not morally innocent. They need a Savior. So let's talk about him as we end. Did you know Jesus arrives and he tells, talks about Jonah? Read the Gospels. In fact, he will say after he tells stories about Jonah, Something greater than Jonah is here. And if you read between the lines, Jesus is the greater Jonah because he was a Jewish prophet. Here are some of the things that connect you to Jesus Christ who is coming to give life. Jesus Christ arrives, and according to Martin Copenhager, who wrote the book, Jesus is the Question, Jesus spends most of his life asking questions. This guy counted them up, 307. God loves to ask questions because he wants to get to our heart. That's why we have these four questions. Who is Jesus? That's a great question that we have to be asking ourselves. Why did he come to earth? Matthew 12 says this, Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man, that's Jesus, be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they, all those people in Nineveh, repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus would say in Luke 15, verse 7, so, Just so I tell you, there's going to be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus is the one greater than Jonah. Look closer at him now. Jonah tossed overboard to save sailors who were not Christians, were not Jewish. 
Jonah tossed overboard. Jonah swallowed by a fish for three days, but he lived. Jonah went outside the city. Depending on this vine, a tree to give him life, let's look at Jesus. How is he greater? Jesus came and he died on the tree, taking the righteous anger and judgment of God. His left hand and his right hand were nailed to the tree. Jesus was put on the tree outside of the city. He was under the shade and darkness of the wrath of God. It was dark, but it wasn't a comforting dark. He was under the anger, the anger and the wrath of God. As his arms were open, he was welcoming those outsiders into eternal life. He said on that tree, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they don't know. They are morally blind here, but forgive them. We know that he died. He died up on a dead plant. He died up on a big old cross. He would be planted in the grave. He would be buried. And just like Jonah with the fish, after three days, he is alive. He is alive and he says, now my people, my church, go out to the nations. They need you. Harmonize your heart with me, says Jesus. The Father and the Son don't send a scorching wind, but the warmth of the Holy Spirit. It often happens when we worship in church. It happens when we talk with others, when we pray with others, when we meet with the people of God. The warmth of the Holy Spirit, I felt it here today. The warmth of the Holy Spirit comes into our cold hearts, our guilty hearts, our heavy hearts. Breaks that ice through good questions, through the, through the answers that God gives. The Holy Spirit fills God's people, His church, to be sent to the outsiders. Now, we don't know when God asked that final question to Jonah what his answer was. It's an odd book because it ends where God basically says, you sure did get concerned for the plant, but are you concerned about 120,000 people and their animals? Now, I, I do know this. We have this book in the Bible. Jonah was not a great man. It's an unedited book. It tells you about this man. I want to believe that he himself, because the book was written, and it appears to have come, we have, we have to know this from him, I want to believe that he himself had his heart softened that day. That his anger slowed down. That he went from comfort and complacency to saying, I'm going to be different. Let me end with a series of short questions to you. I don't know if you'll take them into your heart today. Number one, are you angry right now at somebody? Are you angry for the right reasons? Have you construed this according to the harmony of God's heart? Number two, are you willing to harmonize your heart with God's slow-to-anger heart for unbelievers? God cares for Israel. He cares for the church. He still cares about people that are on the outside. There's a lot of people on the outside. Have you refused to forgive as God has forgiven you? Are you more concerned about conserving your own comfort or seeing the conversion of outsiders? Now that one gets me. I sure love to be comfortable. 
Lastly, what step would you take even this week to walk into your city? That's where you live. Where people that are other than Christians, they're outside, need to hear about Jesus Christ. What's a little step you could take? We don't know how Jonah answered. Did his concern for comfort give way to compassion for condemned sinners? I don't know. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for Trinity, for this church. Lord, even her name, Father, Son, Spirit, the name Trinity conjures up relationships. Lord, in many ways, we've had many years of peace in America. Life is pretty good, even though we go through difficult times. Father, I ask if there is someone here that has just stopped loving the outsider, would you forgive them? Would you soften them? Lord, we don't look at Jonah as a hero. We look at Jesus, who is the greatest, who came and suffered and got thirsty on the cross and took your anger Oh, this is good news, Father. Let us walk into our weeks knowing that this is the message we want to share with everyone. Lord, would you wake up those outsiders? Maybe there's somebody here that's invited somebody over and over, and they keep getting a no. Lord, these people don't know their left from their right hand unless your Holy Spirit wakes them up. We depend fully on you, Lord. Bring life into this church. Bring outsiders into the inside. And thank you, Lord, for asking us questions. Help us be a people who are so slow to anger. Help Trinity be known in the community as the church that is so slow because they know of your grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.